Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. My guest today is Manisha Takor. She is both a CFA and a CFP, but more importantly, she is the founder of a boutique financial well-being consultancy called Money Zen. She's a 25-year veteran of the financial services industry and has appeared in places like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, CNN, CNBC, Women's Health, and Real Simple. Manisha is also an author and a member of the National Endowment for Financial Education. She's a huge advocate for financial independence for women in particular. I highly recommend this episode if you're seeking financial independence and looking for a stress-free way to accomplish it. Enjoy today's episode. So today I have with me Manisha Takor. Manisha, how are you today? Rachel, I'm great. I'm excited to talk to you. Me too. We have a lot to talk about given the topic of your expertise. But before we we dive into the work that you're doing today, we'd love to hear your journey on, on how you started your business. So like so many entrepreneurs, um, by accident, um, I had gotten married um, to somebody who was 20 years older than me. And um, this was before the days that it, uh, uh, working from home was even a remote possibility in the finan- corporate financial services world where I had been working. And he wanted to move to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is stunning. Um, and I um, agreed, um, but the firm I worked for, I mean, it just wasn't, um, I was working for a large institutional money management firm out of out of Houston and it just culturally was not a fit to do that. And so I got out to Santa Fe and I thought, what the heck can I can I do out here? And um, I was in my mid thirties then. And most of my girlfriends were relying on, um, well, I shouldn't say most of my girlfriends, many of my girlfriends would reach out to me for personal finance advice and guidance. And that's when it hit me like, wait a minute, this, you know, even though I've been managing money for corporations and endowments and foundations, it's not so terribly different than individuals. Why don't I shift gears and and put up my own shingle and start helping women, um, which was my passion area. Um, I went to an all women's um, uh, college and I've been a, a fervent supporter of women's economic empowerment ever since then. Um, and so that's how it came about. Um, and I no longer have the husband, but I still have the business. <laughs> well, that's good. What, so what year was it that you launched your business? So it's 2009. Um, I, I, and um, 
the business has had about 15 different iterations, um, which is something I love to share because I think so often people um, feel nervous about pivoting. Um, and so I started off, um, I basically had three distinct phases to the business. And phase one was, um, I call it Susie Orman my Susie Orman phase. And um, the business model was that I was the product. Um, and I did a ton of TV um, and uh, uh, radio and media work. And then it was the, the monetization of that was um, either getting my own TV show or um, and, uh, contributor spot on like CNN or one of those uh, or CNBC, one of the, the major stations um, where you're not an anchor, but you're their go-to expert on a particular topic and then brand ambassadorship work. Um, and so in that time, what I had, I had um, no problem on the brand ambassador side and I was able to um, do really neat assignments with folks like American Express and, um, TIA craft and um, and that was great, but the TV part was hard to break into because I was in Santa Fe, um, and so um, I uh, was thrilled. I made it pretty far. I actually got into the final rounds to um, at CNN and um, also um, uh, to uh, for Katie Couric's show when she briefly had that. But it just it, unless I moved to New York, it just wasn't going to be possible. So then um, I moved into the second iteration, which was setting up my own registered investment advisory firm where I had um, clients and I focused on a really specific niche. I focused on senior executive women who had $3 million or more um, uh, to um, to invest. And I grew that business to 50 million in assets um, under management. And I realized I, I had employees and I really hated um, how I was spending my time. I went from um, being the subject matter expert to having to deal with compliance and payroll. And, um, you know, I'd bring clients in, I'd be the rainmaker, but then I wouldn't, I wouldn't get to have the ongoing interaction, the team would be doing that. And so after um, three years of that, I merged it into a uh, larger firm. Um, and then I've returned um, back to the B2B uh, model, but I've shifted it slightly. Um, and now what I try and do are um, really large scale kinds of collaborations. So for instance, um, there is a company called Grokker. They do um, HR benefits for the Fortune 500 companies. And what they offer is a suite of wellness videos. And it's everything from cooking to exercise to um, meditation and HR directors at Fortune 500 companies have been saying, like, people are stressed about money. Can you please create some um, uh, financial education content? Um, and so I'm working with um, entities like that, um, as well as doing keynote speaking and then um, uh, corporate consulting and brand ambassador work. So I've gone kind of from um, uh, the media 
uh, it kind of, it was before they were influencers back then, um, uh, into a traditional type business. And now I'm kind of, I would say a hybrid between the first two, um, uh, go arounds. Are you working with clients one-on-one still? So I no longer work with clients one-on-one. I, I work solely with organizations, um, and, um, you know, I team up, for instance, with the Omega Institute um, out of Rhinebeck, New York. And so I um, have an online course with them and I have um, I do in-person workshops. But I, I what I love to do is that they can leverage they videotaped a number of my talks and then I can reach so many more people that way than I can um, on a one on one basis. And so oh, absolutely. That's the major shift that I have I've I've made. That's amazing. Do you well, actually, when did you make this third? Uh, when did you enter this third phase, would you say? Uh, let's see, it would be 2018. Oh, OK. So it sounds like this is the model, right? I mean, like this pivot feels like it might be the right one. It's scalable, right, as a business owner. Um, maybe you're managing some aspects of the, not managing anymore, like some aspects of the business that sounded like they might've been a little bit of a drain for you at some point and kind of like working back again in your sweet spot and your strengths, which you were doing in phase one, but finding a way to also like be in your lane essentially and not be so dependent on a, a major alternate platform. Precisely. I think that the issue with, uh, Plan A is that you, it, it's like hunting for um, a, a, a rare unicorn. You've got to, the, the whole model was dependent on one landing place. You know, Zorman had CNBC, Gene Chatsky had the Today Show. You, you need one landing place. Um, whereas the model that I have now, um, I have, you know, my revenue stream when I look across my client base is really nicely diversified. Um, and I also get to do um, the work I love, but I'm not involved in anybody's corporate politics, which which you would have in stage one, I w- by definition, you're involved in, you know, ask Chris Cuomo um, as he got, you know, that what he's gone through, um, leaving CNN, like you're, you, um, uh, this has been a very different experience. Also, I'm 50. Two, um, and um, you know, it's just I. It's I've always been a workaholic, and um, I've just come to realize, like, it just hits you. You know, my two. I there were three of us that were very close in college. We were roommates, and um, my other two, um, both doctors, and they've both passed. Um, one from a surgery, the, uh, a scoliosis surgery that uh, she developed a horrible infection. Um, and then the other from ovarian cancer. And so, you know, it hit, it just, it hit me. Um, I don't want to do work where I don't feel like I'm making a difference and, um, that I don't truly enjoy doing. Right. Right. Gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, but I'm, but I'm also glad that it has helped you pivot and again, like find a, a way to make the difference that you want to make in your life and use your strengths. Um, question for you, and I'm so glad you talked about the pivots in your business. Cause I think so many people, 
you know, launch a business and at some point think like, gosh, I'm kind of stuck in this business, right? Like it's not exactly how I imagined it would be. It looked so much better from the outside. Would you say phase one and phase two, though, have helped you build the platform to do phase three in? Oh, without a doubt. Without Mm -hmm. a doubt. You know, just yesterday I was working with a, a corporate consulting client that wanted um, advice and guidance on how to um, break into the women's high net worth market. I would have had no idea how to respond to that question if I had just been in phase one. Um, And if I had just been in phase two, I don't think I would have understood um, the power um, that the media can bring um, to leverage um, what uh, what the, the learnings that I was sharing from stage two. So without a doubt, I feel like I the um, caliber of, I shouldn't say the caliber of assignment because everything I felt like I did in all stages felt uh, wonderful, but my ability to really add something that is truly unique um, has come from the fact that before I started the business, I'd spent 15 years like in like knee deep in the true Wall Street world on the institutional side. And then I had these various different pivots. And when you stitch all that together, there are there aren't a lot of people that have had the range of experiences that I've had. So I'm able to help corporate clients at a way deeper level than if I hadn't pivoted. Right, right. Manisha would love to hear how or what would love to hear what some of the primary issues and challenges you're seeing that people are facing around finances and, you know, feeling stress around them. It'd be great if you can dive into that. Sure. Uh, Today, I would say that the um, number one thing that I get asked literally daily is how can I find trustworthy advice and guidance for my situation. Um, And what's interesting is I hear this from people who have literally $100 a month to be putting away somewhere. And I'm not kidding you, like people who have a million or $10 million and um, can't just can't shake this feeling that the financial industry may not necessarily have their best interest at heart and want to know what questions to ask, what to look out for, what pricing is reasonable. And so I feel like the greatest value I've been able to add over the past 18 months um, has really been to spread the message of what to look for um, in a individual financial advisor, or if you're using one of the so-called robo-advisory firms, how to get the most out of that kind of collective, more digital ex- experience. And I I am thrilled that people are asking that question as opposed to earlier on in my career, I had co-written with a girlfriend from business school to personal finance primers for women in early career stage, so in their 20s and 30s. 
And we we did that back when we were in our 20s and 30s and our girlfriends kept asking us the same questions. And we thought, well, let's just put this in a book so we can hand it out. Um, and lo and behold, all these years later, um, the book is in second edition, still alive and um, still helping 20 and 30 somethings. But the, the questions back then that we were fielding were much more about um, budgeting and planning for life moments getting married, having a baby, buying a house, um, paying off student loan debt. Um, I think still that's very much um, the the issues that younger, um, early career um, women and men are dealing with. But I, um, I think there is increased awareness or need simply because the financial landscape has become so ridiculous ridiculously complex with product proliferation for some help and just navigating the territory. But the financial services industry, um, unlike uh, the legal world where everybody has to pass the bar exam um, or the medical world where you have to pass your boards and you take the Hippocratic Oath. In the financial services industries, there are actually two different standards to which advisors can choose to adhere to. One's called fiduciary, where you are legally obliged to put the interest of your client ahead of yourself and your firm. And the other is called suitability, where you do have the ability to put your firm's interests and your interests ahead of the client, so long as what you're doing for the client is suitable. Um, and, you know, Suitable is like art. It's kind of in the eye of the beholder. And so that's why so many people feel this kind of like, oh, used car sales, you know, being taken for a ride, pricing's opaque, feeling um, in the industry. And so helping people understand that there are those two standards. Um, and then even with the fiduciary standard, which is where I always um, encourage people to only work with advisors and firms that operate as fiduciaries, um, really understanding what model makes sense. Do you want percent of assets under management to be your fee? Do you want a flat fee? Do you want an hourly fee? What makes the most sense for you? Okay. And the, the, the stress aspect of what your work covers, right? Aside from helping people find uh, find service providers that are trustworthy. Is there like what other tactics do you teach people uh, to feel more calm when it comes to money? Yeah. So I, um, if I, you know, the mission when I think about money is any in any of its three iterations has always been to help um, people fight through the information so that they can arrive at the, the nuggets of knowledge that they need to feel calm and confidence and clarity around their personal finances. And so I, I feel like the, um, the biggest tool that I have found um, is something that I never thought coming out of business school that I would ever be talking about, but it's your money stories and your money history. And um, so one of the things that I have been advising corporate clients on um, is a, a concept that um, uh, it's called money circles. And um, it kind of intuitively many women owned 
um, wealth management firms were doing something like this anyways. But it's this notion of you're not just managing your clients' money. It's um, you're creating circles where you get together around certain topics and it's a very well-orchestrated conversation. But you're not talking about the nuts and bolts of finance. You're talking about feelings around money and what's blocking you. And so what I've noticed with corporate clients is as they start to implement that, then they, A, clients work through their gunk and are able to make um, uh, decisions to actually hire the advisor and make decisions on um, what's uh, what recommendations of the advisor they want to act on and, and not. But it also it's great business because it brings them so much closer to the advisor than if you're just having a nuts and bolts money question with your advisor, you may feel good. But when you sit and you're talking to your advisor about the way in which your parents used to control you with money or one parent controlled the other parent with money or how your family you know, went um, bankrupt and belly up when you were growing up and things were so tough and um, there's just a, a level of intimacy that comes from that. And so I, I've just found that the emotional side of money is one that we've long neglected. And it's not just me, um, the financial services industry, uh, a couple uh, uh, of um, colleagues who um, I'm so proud of have started an organization called um, the Financial Therapy Association, which is putting together a designation and a curriculum to enable financial advisors to learn how to talk about money without crossing the line into being a therapist. Um, and so I really feel like that's kind of the missing piece that, you know, when our parents would have gone to seek financial advice and guidance, an advisor would never have talked about these kinds of things. Yeah. So um, Drew, as you were talking about it, I was thinking that it sounds like money therapy and um, I think it's brilliant that your friend started started that this curriculum. I, mm-hmm. it, it's really, and in fact, being so inspired by that, I'm actually <clears throat> working on my third book right now um, uh, with Harper's Business, and it'll come out in 2023. Um, book titles uh, with the large publishing houses don't actually get created to the very end, so. I don't know what it's going to be called. Um, and But the idea behind it is to explore um, our, our social attitudes towards work, money, success, um, and what personal factors, cultural factors, societal factors can influence us to have feelings, for instance, like the ones I struggled with for a number of years, which was identifying my self-worth with my net worth, that was a toxic way to think. Um, And so that book then uh, unpacks how we end up at these, with these toxic mental models that we may use in our uh, inner relationship with money. Um, And then what we can do to unravel them to arrive at a healthier place. Um, And so um, I would say one of the big, changes in my personal work, but also what I'm seeing in the industry and opportunities for individuals. Um, I have a new equation. I used to think um, when I was in my institutional life that it was all about the money. Um, And it was about the nuts and bolts of what you were doing with your money. Um, What 
stocks you were investing in, um, the percentage of your portfolio in stocks, bonds versus cash, um, these sorts of things. And what I've come to realize, I use a new equation now, um, which is financial health plus emotional wealth. That gets you where you want to go. And, and um, giving people the skills to understand how to develop both pieces. It's very hard to have emotional wealth if you don't have financial health, but financial health doesn't mean that you are constantly chasing after more, 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 which is the societal mindset that tends to get a lot of us um, uh, into financial illness rather than financial health because um, we're, we're in that constant um, never enough mindset. Right. So true. That is a really fascinating equation. Can you say more about emotional wealth and what that, how you define that? Yeah, so I have been um, uh, doing various um, different types of surveys to see how other people are defining it. But for me, um, I've realized that emotional wealth comes down to... Uh, Simplicity, small joys, and financial independence. Um, and for me, what I find um, is that under each of those catch-all phrases are specific things. So when I say simplicity, um, in my post-divorce life, I now live in um, a 1,200-square-foot condo versus a 6,000-square-foot home in Santa Fe. And I am so much happier. It's such a simpler life. Um, when I think about, um, and also like on a simplicity standpoint, I have, um, if people haven't heard of Project 333, I encourage them to Google it. Um, the idea, Courtney Carver came up with it. And the idea was that you would um, pick uh, a, a I think I've got this right, like 33 items, including your accessories, um, and you would wear them for um, uh, 33 days. And that's and you would see like just how little you actually need. Um, and I, I know I'm describing the actual numbers of that slightly off, but Project 333 is what it's called. And um, that's what I, I have noticed is um how much less I actually um, needed. That has given me such emotional wealth because um, uh, I don't feel like I'm collecting, I'm constantly looking for more stuff. Um, I would say on the small joys, um, I am obsessed with third wave artisanal coffee. And so, you know, there's the whole, and David Bach had written a whole line of books and his books are wonderful. But, and, but one of the parodies that comes up is he had one of them talks about the latte factor. And, and if you don't buy the latte and you invest the money, well, I buy the latte. I buy probably three a day. But I um, now um, in my new iteration, I, I've chosen that I want to work on a location independent basis. So I may uh, be in. Maine for a couple months working from there or in Portland for a few months in Oregon or down in North Carolina with my parents who are in their 80s working from there. And so I spent a lot of time in coffee shops and I will get my $5 latte and um, but I'll sit there for three hours. And so my per hourly cost of that 
And I get such joy if I'm, you know, listening to the jazz in the background and feeling like I'm around humans while I'm working. And so there are these things or I mean, just, you know, uh, like I get so excited when I put on clean flannel pajamas, you know, like I just really noticing those kinds of things. And what has enabled me to have simplicity and small joys um, uh, oh, and financial independence is the other one that's big to me, which I define as the ability to extract myself from any situation that is toxic to me, um, whether it's a marriage or a job. Um, and um, what has enabled me to be able to do these things on the the, um, the emotional wealth side is that I have financial health. Um and, you know, what do other people point to? Um, you know, we're all pretty darn similar at the end of the day. It's time with family, loved ones, um, more time with friends, hobbies, travel, um, just quiet time. Um, and so emotional wealth varies dramatically for different people. And it also changes you have seasons of life. And in some seasons, what's bringing you emotional wealth is growing your family and enjoying time with your kids. And in other stages, um, it is travel, um, whether it's the backpack on, you know, 40 bucks a day or 50 bucks a day as the um, student or you're, you know, later on in years and you're, you're, post work and you're kicking back and doing the around the world journey um, at significantly more than $40 a day. <laughs> right. right, right. Now your, your definition of simplicity reminds me of the minimalist movement and yeah. um, <clears throat> the joy so many people have felt just, you know, minimizing their belongings, minimizing as you, as you, you know, your home, etc. We really don't need much. And I think the last two years in particular have showed us to some extent, you know, how little we need and how that is very freeing. So that's amazing that you have been able to do that too. Well, and I will attribute that the seed to that was a book I read in 1992 um, when I graduated from um, undergrad called Your Money or Your Life. Um, and in 2018, it came out in second edition and I was so thrilled that I got to do a couple of speaking events with the author. Her name is Vicki Robin. And the book has transformed millions of people's lives. And the kind of the root um, message is that most of us have money coming into our lives because we work for it or somebody near and dear to us has been working for it. And so when we spend money, what we're literally spending is our life's energy. And so the process of optimizing our spending so that we're getting the most joy um, out of every unit of our life's energy that went into earning it um, is a really great way to think about resource allocation. And oh, by the way, when you do that, you also end up pretty living pretty lightly in terms of your footprint on the, the planet over the long run for exactly the reason you said. Rachel, like, we actually don't need as much as we think we do yeah, yeah. to be happy. Right. I want to switch gears for a second and talk about your the name of your company, which is Money Zen. How did you come up with that name and that brand? 
So I was in Santa Fe, which is very woo-woo, um, after having spent most of my professional career in you know, New York, Boston, London, Houston. Um, I get out there and things are really spiritual. And um, I was out on our um, back patio portal looking over this stunning mountain view and feeling very zen. Um, and then I was thinking about the kinds of questions and problems that I was helping clients with. And I realized that they weren't feeling Zen at all about their money. And so that's how the, the two thoughts came together. I never would have thought of the name had I still been living in Manhattan. <laughs> it just wouldn't have come to me. So You wouldn't have been in a Zen enough state to think right. of it, right? Exactly. So I attribute it. They call, they call Santa Fe the city different. And I, I'm, I had a different mindset when I was there. That's so funny. That's great. Manisha, what do you see in your future? What do you foresee to be some of the next um, footsteps you want to take to grow your business? Sounds like you've got a third book coming out and uh, you said 2023, right? Yeah. I, I, when I think about the monetization model, I feel um, like I'm moving into, and again, part of it is, is, is my age and my desire not to work like a crazy nut seven days a week, like I did in the early stages of my business growth. So basically I, I'm interested in monetizing the business um, through uh, corporate um, partnerships, um, whether I'm teaching um, and they are spreading the message so I can scale the work or I'm doing consulting work with corporations where hopefully my ideas can trickle down and affect so many more people. Um, or keynote speaking, where again, um, you know, if I'm speaking to an audience of a couple thousand people, I can change so many more lives than if I have just a series of one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, and then um, hopefully through um, the books as well, I'll be able to um, make a difference. But the big focus for me um, is going to be the, the corporate work, um, the B2B corporate work and keynotes, keynote speaking um, as my points of greatest leverage. Excellent. Who are some of the money mentors that you read or money influencers that you read and, and whose advice uh, you really take to heart? Um, so my biggest money mentor is my dad. Um, and he taught me about uh, how to, when I was 11, he sat me down with his um, HP 12C financial calculator and showed me how to compound out if I saved my babysitting and my lawn mowing money, um, what I'd have when I reached retirement. And when I saw those numbers, I'm like, that's where my interest in finance began. Um, and so I, I um, tend to be drawn to people who have um, a fairly similar philosophy um, to my father. Um, I really enjoy the work of Jean Chatsky. Um, she runs a company now called Her Money Media, and she's really focused on putting out multimedia content for women specifically. Um, and so I highly recommend her work. Um, a former colleague of mine writes, um, is in his 11th year now, um, as a columnist for the New York Times. His name is Carl Richards, and his brand is Behavior Gap. Um, and he, to me, really, um, he's a former financial advisor. 
He now has a business model similar to mine of corporate work coaching, uh, 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 consulting rather, and speaking. He has um, several books, um, The Behavior Gap and The One-Page Financial Plan, but his newsletter um, to me is and podcast is essential reading. So behavior gap um, for people who like to get uh, wonky and like down into the details. There is um, an accountant named Michael Piper who um, goes under the name Oblivious Investor, um, and the idea behind that is when you invest using a, a well constructed portfolio, you don't need to pay attention to the daily gy- gyrations. Um, and his Oblivious Investor newsletter comes out once a week, and it is packed full of um, interesting um, uh, articles that tend to be slightly more technical. Um, and then if you want some daily inspiration, I recommend um, a, uh, a newsletter called Apex Money. Um, and uh, it's a newsletter written by... Um, two gentlemen, one of whom lives in the Portland area, J.D. Roth, he came to fame um, for a blog he wrote for a long time called Get Rich Slowly that described his um, excavating himself from debt, getting his family to live a simpler life, and um, now having a a lot of freedom. That website um, uh, um, uh, that he um, uh, wrote Get Rich Slowly has an unbelievable backlog of articles. I mean, if you want to know about personal finance, go go there. It's it's all there. Um, and but then if you want some of these more um, topical articles around money and um, society and culture and how it all interplays, um, he puts out this daily um, newsletter um, called Apex Money. So that's where I'm. Um, I'm heading, and that the other one I just want to mention is there is a um, online digital platform for women created by a woman. Um, the company is called Elevest, E L L E B E S T, and it's great for people with a hundred thousand dollars or less that are trying to get started investing, and it could be as little as like I got ten dollars a month, and they put out um, a newsletter. Talk about good branding. Um, they put out um, a newsletter called What the L? Um, and it's fabulous. It's got such wonderful financial content. And the company is run by a woman named Sally Kochek, who is a um, financial icon. She was the first female CFO of Citigroup, the first female president of Smith Barney back in the day. Um, and so it's a company founded by women for women. So those are the things that I read on a regular basis. That's a lot of reading. I know. <laughs> it's a <laughs> good thing you. I run my own business because otherwise I wouldn't have um, the time blocks to do all that reading. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Thank you for sharing those resources. Manisha, what is the best way to learn about you and, um, and potentially hire you for an organization for people listening in or to do a talk so my website is um, moneyzen.com and I got a contact page there with all of my social media handles. I'm Minisha Talk or at all the usual suspects um, uh, and people can reach out to me there. And one of the things that I um, uh, really um, 
pride myself on doing is I have a section of finance called financial wisdom where I've curated resources on all kinds of different topics, whether it's money and relationships or buying a home or getting out of debt. Um, and I um, quarterly make sure to review um, and and share the most recent research articles, books, resources. Um, so since I don't work with individuals, um, the combination of being able to go to my website and look at that with um, signing up for my monthly newsletter, um, which you can do at moneyzen.com. Um, on my monthly newsletter, I also try and provide as much educational resources, tools, and um, suggestions um, to individuals um, so that they can get something, um, even though I'm no longer working directly with individuals now that I'm B2B. That's okay. You're providing a wealth of information. Pun intended. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the show today. It has been a pleasure. A pleasure and um, bravo to you for all the work that you are doing and bringing such important information out to people who are running businesses, thinking about branding um, and trying to navigate that that needle, um, which can vary so much from industry to industry. So true, but it's great guests like you that make it. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.